Hello, and welcome to How to Adopt and Who Should Consider It, a conversational podcast where we learn from parents who have walked this journey ahead of us and some who are still on their way. We welcome you to sit with us and listen in, and we welcome you to join the conversation. If you are an adoptive or foster parent, and even if you are coming in from the birth parent side, we would love to sit with you, share in your journey, and learn from your experiences. If you'd be willing to step up to the mic, please email us at adoptionhelps at gmail.com and someone will be in touch. Wow. Welcome to episode one of How to Adopt and Who Should Consider It. I don't want to waste any time and we'll get right into the conversation with Lambert, but this is a two-part series and we hope that you'll stick around for part two. Lambert, thanks so much for jumping in the virtual studio today. Why don't you introduce yourself to us? Sure. Thanks, Dave. My name is Lambert. Um, my wife and I uh, live in Austin, Texas. We are proud parents. We have two kids. We have an eight and a four-year-old. Both of them were uh, domestic adopted. And I do work, as Dave mentioned, I do work at a church here. Um, so we've been doing life here in Austin with our kids and work for about uh, maybe a little bit more than 15 years or so. So wow. we haven't how long we've been years. living here. Um, and I'm an eight and a four year old. So yeah, life's busy and fun. So that's us. That's great. That's great. Why don't you tell us about you and Sarah, maybe a little bit about how long you guys have been married or kind of how you got to know each other. Sure. Um, we uh, met actually, we both attended a school here in Austin college and we met actually on a blind date. When we were in college, our, our junior year of college. Um, crazy. Yeah. We met on a blind date. We were friends for uh, a couple quick months. And then all of a sudden, you know, <laughs> we went from friends to, Hey, I think you're kind of cute. I think we should be boyfriend girlfriend here. So that happened junior year. And then things kind of keep going. And we had a cool larger circle of, of friends. Um, and we just kind of began to get to know each other. Um, a lot of them were, were Christ followers as well. So we had a, a big kind of circle of friends. And then as you kind of zoom out, uh, we started just getting closer and closer. And then our senior year of college, we got engaged. And then we graduated May together. And then um, by September, a couple months later, uh, we were we were married. And then, you know, so I had, I had essentially three months to promise my father-in-law that I'd provide for his daughter. So quickly scrambled. We moved to Houston in that time frame uh, to quickly go get a job. Um, Got married in September and worked in Houston for a couple of years. And fast forward, we moved to Austin after two years or so. We've been here ever since. We're closing in on um, this summer will be our 19th year of marriage. So wow. yeah, 19. Moving along. Yeah. Wow. So. Praise God. All right. So 19 years of marriage. Uh, you guys met in school. That's awesome. Uh, how did you and Sarah kind of come to the conclusion that uh, the path of adoption was was for you guys? Like, what did that look like? Oh, man. Okay, Dave, good. I'd say loaded and windy question. Um, I would say for us, um, so here we are, you know, like I said, we got married very young. Um, my wife came from a huge family. I didn't, we, it was always in our heart to want to have children. When we first got married, we were 22. It definitely wasn't what we were thinking. We were just thinking, oh my goodness, how do you, you know, how do you get insurance? Do you pay taxes? We just, it was overwhelming right. getting married right. so young. But then fast forward a couple of years, probably four or five years. Now, you know, we're now in our mid-20s. Um, I would say stable, but not really. I mean, you're 25, so nothing's really stable at that moment. But we our heart was we were ready to go to start to start a family. And um, at the time we're like, okay, let's let's do this. And so we we act like we're ready to go. 
Um, yeah, yep. Dave, everything kind of just, you know, I think we thought um, it was going to happen very quickly. And I think from our viewpoint was, um, in looking back at change, like we thought, okay, we've got everything kind of lined up, right? We've been married, I guess now six, seven years. We've got the family-friendly car. We live in the family-friendly neighborhood. Mm-hmm. We've got a couple of dollars saved in this family, quote, emergency fund. Mm-hmm. Uh, family, grandparents are ready to go. Everyone's ready to go. So I think it was like, and so when it didn't happen, kind of almost immediately, it was like, whoa, what, why, why not? So right. we kind of keep going. Here comes, here comes month four, month, you know, then we're in year two. And then it's just like, whoa, throws for a major curveball. And I think also looking back, it's really started to shake um, our marriage at some level um, of just like, it just emotionally, physically, financially, spiritually, all those things begin to start rattle a little bit. You know, I think, um, I think selfishly, it's like, well, we're at the time I was in the best shape of my life, you know, from running triathlons. My wife is, you know, she's 27. So on paper, medically wise, we were in great shape. You know, there wasn't any history that we knew of, of medical issues. You know, we never went to the doctor unless we had the sniffles. I mean, there was no kind of yeah. medical explanation. So Dave, keep fast forward. So once again, you know, every month it's that negative on that, on that pregnancy test. So then our doctors introduce us, Hey, we think you should go to a fertility specialist. It's like, Whoa, I, I don't, why would we do that? And so then we start entering the medical world, Dave, and it, it, it starts going, I'd say we took the, the long game approach. Um, we went through every single medical test we could, uh, mm-hmm. what our doctors kind of told us, Hey, let's go easy <clears throat> as far as introducing drugs and hormones. And, um, and we did every kind of test, my, her test, my test kind of keep going, progressing through this. Some of them I would say were easier than done. Um, meaning, Hey, take this pill, see what it does for you this month that didn't work. Then you kind of go back. Hey, look, we think we're going to do shots. I uh, do a shot once a month. Oh, that didn't work. Okay. Now we're doing shots daily kind of hormone in- injection shots. <clears throat> and as those tests keep coming, Dave, it's like, oh man, the, the everything gets heavier, right? Like yeah. the, the conversations with Sarah and I get heavier. The, the financial burden gets heavier. The emotional burden gets heavier. The spiritual like burden, everything starts getting heavy. And I think also at the same time, Dave, <clears throat> As we get further along, I think we also felt a little bit, all of a sudden our family was right there. And all of a sudden it felt like we were then moving to this weird island by ourselves. As we got yeah. deeper into deeper into financial uh, medical, our family had no history of this. And they just were like, well, we don't, whoa, we don't really know what's going on. So it went from like, not that they were not supportive, but they went to just a not complete understanding. Like, what do you mean you're going back for a third blood test in two days? Like, why would yeah. you do that? You know? And so I think not that we felt isolated, but it, it all of a sudden our support network went from uh, just, I don't think they just, they didn't know how to ask the question. Cause it just, it, it was just kind of ble- like blowing over their head. Yeah. So we go from a little bit of isolation, even our church family was great, but as you get deep into the medical world, not, not, I mean, I didn't have one guy friend that knew exactly. I mean, most guys don't even know what this, Hey, infertility, like it's just, it just, just blows it over their head. Yeah. So kind of keep fast forward and we ended. So Dave, now, now we're multiple years into this thing. I mean, we're now four or five years. We ended up doing um, in vitro twice um, two different rounds of it. And through all this time frame, you know, I guess six, uh, six, five, six years of infertility work. Um, so it was never pregnant through all this stuff. Um, so can we go sorry. back to your, your, uh, medical testing? Cause my wife yeah. and I, uh, have a similar experience. Um, 
was it, was it a relief for you or was it more depressing for you to be told by a doctor, there's nothing physically wrong with either of you. You should be able to have a baby. Was that a relief or was that just more weight with the questions of yeah. why doesn't it work for us? I'm going to throw also the word in frustration in that because they, yeah. they, they told us, they just said, Hey, there's this weird funky part of the population, call it 5% of people that are just infertile. And it was like, it was good to know that, but I was just like, come on. You're yeah. telling me I'm, I'm the 5%, 95% of people normally can do this, or there'd be some kind of diagnosis. You're telling me there's no diagnosis. At, and Sarah and I are both this weird, just like 5%. Sorry, you're just, it is what it is. Now it was yeah. a relief. It was a relief to know that, but also there's also this frustration of like that. So is that the last sentence you're going to tell me? So what do we do from here? You know, I think, yeah. so it's a little bit of both where I think it is the guy in me kind of wished it would have been like, Hey, you have this medical condition. We're going to call on a, a prescription drug. You'll pick it up your local drugstore here and we will fix this. So I think I felt a little frustrated because there was no quote fix. There's not another right. doctor in the country. There is not another. So I'd, I'd say, um, at least we finally knew something, but also it definitely felt like, well, there's quote, no fix, you know, right. you can keep trying, but and Dave, every, every month and year that go by, you've seen those, those charts, like, Hey, your chance yeah. of getting pregnant just right, right. just kept going down. And so we, I'm a numbers guy, but my wife's not, but man, we, we play the numbers game every single month. And it just got mind numbing of just yeah. like, Hey, X percentage to get pregnant, you know, it's, you know, 17.6%. And my wife's like 17, I just like, she just couldn't compound. Right. And it, it was just really struggling like percentage games. And so um, if that's answering your question, Dave, but it, it was, it was a struggle for us to hear that, but also no, we just, we felt deflated, uh, yeah. def deflated, just didn't know what to do from there. And how many years into marriage uh, is this for you two? Um, man, we're, we're 10 plus when all this was kind of going through. Okay. And not so, by choice. You know, we, we, yeah. we, wanted, we, we thought we'd five years into marriage, then let's start doing kids. But yeah, yeah things kind of continue to progress. Now, were you also dealing with comments, uh, well-intentioned comments from family, friends? Hey, you guys, come on. What are you waiting for? When are you going to have kids? What are you waiting on? Come on, get in there. Like, were you dealing with those kind of comments as well? Yeah, I, I'd say that. And also, Dave, a little bit of the um, that, like what's going on. And then we got this weird, like, <laughs> I'd say just old wives tale pregnancy advice. Hey, you know what, if you guys would just drink a, a glass, of, a bottle of wine this night, then you're ready to go. Hey, if you yeah. would just have intimate relations with your wife when the moon is up, uh, you should, then you'll probably be fine. Yeah. And then, hey, if you wouldn't eat as much ice cream, then you'd probably get pregnant. So this is kind of weird. Or, or my favorite, if you guys will just stop thinking about it, it'll happen naturally. I don't, and I think, <sighs> right. That, uh, so that kind of came on like, hey, why, like weird, like, hey, and then that felt like, oh, I guess we're doing this wrong. And I think when we were years and months into this, you're kind of just grasping for anything. So you hear a comment like, well, do you eat gluten? You're like, well, actually, I think I just had a, I just had a toast this morning. Ha ha. Right. That's why. And I think we were just grasping for shots. So we hear these little things. And of course yeah. the worst case scenario, you just Google this and that just opens up a whole level. Oh yeah. So I think when we were in desperation mode, you're almost, we were just grasping for anything. It's like, you know what? It was because we had ice cream last night. I bet you that, I bet you that's why I'm don't do it. Now an irrational thought you'd be like, I don't think it's because of that, but I think for us after years and desperation you're just kind of grasping to crazy advice from like aunt betty that knows nothing about this world but aunt betty said it's because you had ice cream last night right, so we right. this weird kind of season of like 
taken in too much information and really none of it was medical. It was just rambling families and neighbors and coworkers, but you just got inundated and you just feel yeah. guilty and then you're just trying to process it. So, yeah, well, I want to let you continue on with your story. Um, but I think this is a critical juncture that a lot of families um, are in and then they either turn left into um, I guess we'll just travel and enjoy life as a couple, or they turn right into, we should consider foster care. We should consider adoption. So I know Sarah's not on the call um, to be able to speak to the young women who are processing this in a way that mm. you and I will probably never be able to understand fully. Um, but what do you say to the husband who, you know, I would say young, but a lot of these guys are in their late twenties, early thirties. What do you say to the husband trying to help his wife through this or trying to deal with his own issues of why, why does it not work for us? Why are we the family that doesn't, that doesn't have a little kid in tow? What do you, what do you say to that guy? Yeah, I'll try to, I think I can answer this with one, one example, well, our, one situation that I had with us. This was, Dave, we're probably uh, multiple months in, or years into this thing. And I come home, it was, it was like clockwork. Every single month we, we would take a pregnancy test. And one, time I, one day I came home from work and it was that day that she'd taken one coming from work, pull into the house and she's out in the back, Sarah's in the backyard on the patio, uh, crying Oh man! and go back there. And, and, um, I sit with her and we're, we are, and she's crying, which, you know, it was intense. And, and, mm. and it, of course it showed negative again. I think this is after uh, definitely uh, some medical treatments and stuff. And I looked at her, I was like, oh man. And here's, here's, here's a big defining moment to answer your question, Dave, when I really started relating, I could un understand Sarah a little bit more. She said, hey, this is month 31 or something like that mm -hmm. of like peeing on the stick and it's negative. And as the woman, I feel like I'm failing because I'm yeah. supposed to be the mom and month in after month out, like, no, no, no. It's, you know, I forgot if it's one or two lines, but I keep seeing this one, like it's not there. So I'm, I'm now like, I'm a, I'm a failure. Yeah. I'm sitting here saying like, honey, you didn't do anything wrong. You do anything wrong. And she's like, and she's like, I hear you saying that, but let's, let's take it back to it in your situation. If you had an annual review, but you had it monthly from your boss mm -hmm. and every month your boss said, Hey, you're really not cutting it. You're not cutting it month after month after month. You probably start to believe that you weren't a good worker, right? She's like, mm -hmm. I know you take your job really seriously. So you probably start to believe I'm just not a good worker. Right. Mm -hmm. She was equating that. She's like, I, I as a mom, that's in my DNA. I want to be a mom. And I'm being told every single month, you're just not, she was internalizing that it's like you're just not good enough you're not good enough you can't do it you can't do it you can't do it she's like yeah if i just kept i kept seeing negative negative and when she put that day when she equated to quote the annual job interview for me mm -hmm. it made me feel as though hey what if you did that monthly and it wasn't a positive review how would you start to feel it's like oh man it just felt like i think after that it just felt like a, in a good way did this kind of kick in the butt of like man and not that it was performance driven but i think just her like emotional processing helped me yeah. understand like man just the weight of that really so i think to answer your question further i think for the guys out there um i think it also really helped me when as we got into the thick of this day i found other guys yeah because i think my wife had a natural community um, mm -hmm. it was definitely more common for women to talk about these things i mean most guys want to talk about brisket and you know, craft beer yeah. and the local, you know, the sports game, you know, it's not yeah. a common topic yeah. for guys to talk about, but I was encouraged in my, my journey through this to find one or two guys that have been through this journey. Um, Cause for most guys, you know, for my friends that hadn't 
gone through this journey, you know, Dave, this is kind of yeah. funny, but they're like, oh, so let me, let me understand your problem. You have to have a bunch of sex that during the month, that sounds like a big problem to me. And I was like, right, right. <laughs> that's not what we're talking about. But for the guys that didn't go through that, they couldn't relate to that. Right. Right. Like, so let me, your problem is too much sex. I'm like, that's not the problem, man. You know, I, but they right. couldn't understand. They hadn't been in that, in that situation, but then being around other gentlemen, other guys yeah. that had walked through that. And I could process that with them over, over a slice of pizza. You know, it really helped me kind of normalize like, oh man, okay, how did you, how did you, how did your wife go through this, man? Had, this is a financial strain, right? Like yeah. I'm stressed about because of the money, right? And this other guy to tell me, yeah, that is stressful, man. Or the medical, man, I feel like I'm like, we're all around the country trying to figure out the right medical thing. What, how did you guys process this? How did you, how did you handle like your comment earlier, Dave, like relatives asking questions. So it, it helped me to understand Sarah's scenario on, on the back porch. Mm -hmm. And then for me to start opening up and talking to other guys. And I feel like with guys, once, once one guy hears your story and you're open to that, kind of like guys, they don't normally lead with that, but they'll come out of the woodworks a little bit of just when they're, when they want to share their story. So yeah. help, I, I, in particular, one guy that um, we would grab pizza, you know, every six months, he just kind of check in with me. Yeah, he good. went through that. He had that season of his life and was on the other side of that. Mm -hmm. um, and I'll ever be eternally grateful for him. His name was Daryl, but he walked us through, he walked that through with me. Mm, that's awesome. And, you know, I think, I think a lot of guys that have been kind of where we, where we've been, I don't think they're prone to shutting their wives down. Um, but guys, if you're listening, I would just really encourage you uh, when your wife is at the end of her rope and, and that story of um, I'm a failure, the one thing that women are supposed to be able to do, I can't do. And our wives, man, that, they equate that to getting pregnant. Then they equate that to being able to breastfeed. Then they equate that to child rearing. They, they carry that weight. That they have this image of what women are supposed to be able to do, right? Um, but if your wife is in that state, man, I would just encourage you guys, just listen to her and hug her and hold her and don't make light of it and don't tell her it's no big deal. You know, get in the trenches if she's crying. You know, the Bible tells us, uh, I think much of our audience uh, is believers, um, but not all of them, but the Bible tells us, you know, weep with those who are weeping, you know, get in there and, and feel that with them. So as your wife is processing this, just let her process it. We, as guys, we want to fix things. That's kind of what we do. And women don't necessarily want to, they, they, they want to process things. So, um, especially in this scenario where there's so little that we can do, um, let them process, you know, and if they're on five different websites where women are comparing photos of their, uh, you know, pregnancy test strips, and they're analyzing this with these colors and trying to say, is that a positive? Is that a negative? Can you color analyze this? And they're doing all this stuff and they're tracking their ovulation cycle and they have everything on a calendar, support them in that, man. They, they need some semblance of control um, as well. So great job, you know, sitting with her on the back deck and letting her weep for a while and tell you all those things. And I think that can be super helpful. So a uh, good sidetrack there, but um, you're kind of walking us through how you kind of came to uh, the adoption or foster care story. So uh, I'll let you continue on Lambert. Yeah. So uh, Dave, so here we go. Keep fast forwarding a little bit after, you know, especially the second round of in vitro um, for our guys listening out there. I mean, we were, um, our insurance didn't help us at all. So it was a straight oh, cash wow. situation. Wow. So, uh, you know, working multiple jobs, paying for it, you know, then all of a sudden like the, the cost of that, um, 
it's like, yeah, we're going to drive that car for a little bit longer because the cost of in vitro. No, we're not going to, you know, do the kitchen remodel because, whoo, you know, that's multiple thousand dollar, no insurance help. So I think we, I felt um, deflated financially. It's like how many, you know, we were at the time after all this stuff, most of it was not, I mean, we were, we were at a six figure number and it was just, it depleted us. Yeah. And so we had to kind of take a break. I think we had to take a break financially. We had to take a break spiritually, take a break, not, not necessarily, but like, when I say spiritually, like, Lord, we are now like, we're coming to you because we, we have no direction. So I think when we, we paused, yeah. we paused medically and we paused financially, but spiritually, we really kind of ramped that up. Just yeah. like, we, we have no direction. We like, like you said earlier, are we just going to go travel the world? Are we going to go buy a downtown condo and just live in a condo, a loft downtown right. and not do right. this kid thing anymore? Now, so, um, I don't know anything about in vitro other than um, my wife's experience. You know, we experienced her short time. Did Sarah have to inject herself with those thick oils and hormone medications? How did she, in, did she increase her hormones uh, for that IVF process via pills or was it injections? Um, what was that like for her? Uh, it was both. So she was taking some pills and she was doing shots. Wow. Wow. I just remember Julia's being so painful because the the agent that carried those hormones was so thick and yeah. uh, it was just an incredibly painful process for her on top of filling her body up with these hormones to trick her body into thinking she was pregnant. So she yep. could carry whatever uh, egg survived in that transfer. And yeah. uh, man, talk about an emotional and physical roller coaster. Totally. And yeah, everything yeah. is, feels like everything's heightened, right? Your yeah. sensitivity, your emotions, your hormones, everything felt like super heightened I think for Sarah, um, we're both working, you know, extremely full-time jobs, but man, it felt like everything was tied to that, you know, yeah. our conversations we got home, you know, in vitro, okay, what are the doctor results? Okay, we got to do a shot here and this, you know, it just, it consumed our entire conversation. We even kind of uh, fought for normal conversations, you know, yeah. uh, hey, let's talk about, <laughs> you know, just something other than this, but we, it felt like it was all consuming. And I feel like it was all consuming financially, all consuming, just our, our marriage. And we tried to fight for just, Hey, remember we were a couple that wasn't, we were a couple before this. Yeah. It just felt like it was, it was painful to. Yeah. Well, what, what do you have as a couple during an IVF cycle? So you're either preparing for uh, a transfer, right. Or you're waiting after the transfer to hear, you know, the good news or the bad news. And then you only have a week off to either grieve or yep. prepare yourself for another, another round. It's a tough, it's a long, it is the longest 30 day cycle I think yep. that I've ever done uh, with my wife. Cause it's, there's so much that goes into the preparation. And then there's so much that goes into coming off of that. Yep. Um, and, and those couples listening to this who have experienced it, you guys get it and uh, just tough, man. So Props to Sarah. <laughs> I hate that she had to do that. Yeah, she carried so much weight in that. And I think, um, which is maybe a good segue as we start talking about adoption. I think, um, so at the end of that, Dave, I mean, we, you know, two rounds of each show, nothing ever happened. So we're, mm -hmm. we were we were told, hey, come back for round three. Mm -hmm. uh, but our doctor did kind of shoot us straight and like, you can come back, we'll take your money. But like statistically wise, it's just, it's an hour, um, I guess we're 30, uh, you know, maybe 31 at the time. And it was like, man, it feels like when you hit that 30 number for our doctor, it was just like, boom. And my wife just saw that. She's like, I thought I was young, you know, like yeah. I'm still young. Yeah. Right. But it felt like that when we were working with our, it's like, yeah, it's, yeah, it's easy for 24 year olds to get pregnant. And Sarah just felt like, well, I'm 30. Am I, am I, am I done? Is this, is this my story? 
And so we, we saw a council, prayed about it, saw it, um, just a solid community to help us make that decision. But we kind of just were like, we just went on pause. We just, mm-hmm. we weren't ready for round three yet. Um, and then our church uh, had an adoption conference and we were like, I don't know. It's on a Saturday. I think they're doing free food. I guess let's go. I mean, we, no one had ever, we went kind of by ourselves. Okay. Uh, we didn't have any friends or family doing that. Um, and so we didn't know anything about adoption. All the adoption is in my overall family. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have some members that were are part of the adoption, but that wasn't, I mean, that was decades and decades ago. Um, and so we go to the adoption conference and um, it's like, all right, I, okay, this is kind of interesting. So we, we, we like, okay, um, let's go to this agency that was actually in, in uh, the Metroplex in Texas. So we went, we went to the conference and we said, okay, fine, let's take, let's take the next step. And the next step for yeah. us was to go visit the business agency that had, a, that had an orientation day. Okay. Where you just kind of go and hear from them directly, hear from caseworkers, hear from the, um, the different parts of adoption, you know, domestic, foster to adopt, international, kind of the three different categories that we were educated on. They would kind of walk us through each one of those. So we're like, okay, fine. Let's, let's take a half day of work. Let's go up on a Friday and let's go listen to these guys talk about what adoption is. And we, I think it was, it wasn't like excited when we got in the car. It was like, all right, it's three hours away. We'll go stay at the holiday inn. And I guess maybe we'll get a fun dinner out of it. I don't, it, there was not, yeah. there wasn't this buildup of like, I, you know, I've waited for 20 years of my life to adopt. I think we went into it a little bit more of like, Lord, I, I, I guess a little bit of like, I don't know, bitterness go, driving up there, but just yeah. more of like, yeah. All right. And I think we also felt like when we got there, we're going to be just surrounded by people that were just like, you know what, since I was eight years old, I've always wanted to adopt. I think we went in there like, yeah, is this weird that we don't really know if we want to do this or are all you people are going to be like one have had this really on your mind and you've been saving money for decades and here we are coming in with our $10 and we think we want to do this, you know? Right, right, right. So now, spend- now you guys weren't excited, but on that scale of like who, who actually made the decision to get in the car and go three hours away. Right. Was that you leading that or, or your wife leading that? Like where, who was more anticipatory of a possible good outcome? I'd say Sarah. Okay. I think I was a little bit, I think she, but she was, she wasn't not, I'm thankful that we were unified. You know, she didn't drag me there and I didn't, you know, I didn't drag her, but I think we we were unified when we drove there. I think we were both just kind of like, no, this is a bummer that we're having to do this. Yeah. You know, friends are having baby showers and here we are driving to this conference we know nothing about. So I think we were just kind of bummed out, but I think she was more interested. I was like, I don't know, I guess we'll go, you know, but, but we were, we were unified um, at some level, but I think she was just the catalyst at some level. Okay. Yeah. So we get there, um, Dave, it's, it's a half day kind of thing. It's information overload. Um, and then, but the end of it, there is this woman uh, that I'll ever, that I'll never forget. Um, Debbie was her name. She worked at our adoption agency mm-hmm. and she was sitting down. This is after the meeting. She sat with Sarah and I just kind of debriefing, kind of walking us through. And she, she didn't know this, but one of the things that she walked through she said, hey, you know, adoption is hard and complicated and amazing and exciting, all these different kind of words. But she said, hey, you know, at the end of it, you know, 100% chance you'll be a mommy. Oh, and then wow. she kind of kept going and going and going. And then when we get in the car and Sarah just starts crying, I'm like, 
Oh no. Okay. Good cry. Happy cry. What are we doing here? You know, she said, hey. <laughs> uh, I love that you and I aren't, uh, I love that I'm not the only one that doesn't know what the crying is. Yeah. <laughs> not even married over 10 years. And I still had to ask that question. Yeah. yeah so good. I said, Sarah, what, 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 I know there's a lot. Did you, was the video really cute? Is that why we're crying? What's going on here? She said, Hey, yeah. no, no, Don't you hear, did you hear what, um, the caseworker told us, she said, it's a hundred percent chance I'll be a mommy. I'm like, Whoa. I said, what, what do you mean? She said, everything we've been doing over the years, it's all been statistic wise and nothing was ever good. You know, it was like 17%, 22%, 30%. Right, right. And she said, that woman didn't know that, but she said, I'm going to hold the title of a mommy. I've never been told, like, it's all been like, Hey, if you're, if it's lucky, if the stars line, if this percentage work, if this drug works, you know, she said, I'm going to be a mom. So that, that social worker, she probably had that same conversation with 20 other couples that day, but that yeah. one little sentence totally changed the trajectory um of our our i would say our path to be parents yeah so wow. sarah, sarah heard that sentence and like i said she probably didn't even she probably says that same sentence to a lot of ladies who knows but yeah that one sentence we get in the car and all of a sudden sarah's like let's go i'm like like we're ready she's like i'm i'm i'm, I'm i want to go down this path i want to close down the the um the medical world i think that just hearing the confidence yeah, in that it would work. It's gonna be now. We heard it's gonna be hard. It's gonna be complicated. It's gonna be expensive. Yeah, but let's. I think it was. Yep. Let's jump into quote the deep end of adoption. Now we yeah. don't know foster adopt or infant, but it's like that's our path. We yeah, like I do want to drill down on that real quick though, because that you know what the what the social worker said, caseworker, whoever that she was, Debbie, that is so impactful. And for anybody listening, I'll say the path to adoption, the path through foster care. Uh, international, domestic, all of these things is incredibly difficult and very complex. And I think you could listen to a hundred episodes and still not be able to line out all the details that would be unique in your own story. But if you walk this journey, you will be a dad or you will be a mom. And for those of you who say um, that it would be different than having you know, your own, I think a lot of people who haven't adopted say, don't you want your own children? Um, as, as a dad who is blessed with uh, biological children as well as adoptive children, I'm just as much of a dad to my adopteds as I am to my bios. And I can't tell a difference and they can't tell a difference. And if you're, I don't care why a family is pursuing adoption or foster care, really, I don't. I don't care if it's because of a broken heart, um, an empty womb, a desire to make the world better. Uh, desire to be, um, you know, philanthropic, you know, whatever it is, it makes you a dad and it gives a mom or, or a mom and it, and it gives a little girl or a little boy an opportunity to have a mom and a dad. Mm -hmm. And it's incredibly worthwhile. It's an incredibly worthwhile journey. And I, I love that Sarah cued in on that. And I love that the caseworker was able to say that. I love that Debbie was, was keenly aware enough to say, this is a hundred percent chance you're going to be a mom. Yep. That's great. Yeah. So then uh, fast forward, we, you know, we're super excited driving home at some level, but also really overwhelmed, you know, but just the amount of um, information. So we, we walked away from that agency, like I was saying, you know, there's domestic infant, fostered adopt and international. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So for us, um, for, I think because of the time frame, we almost kind of said, what's the fastest one of those three channels? And so we kind of explore um, each one of those, you know, we do it, we did our due diligence, kind of talk to our agency, hey, which one of those, we didn't come in with a, 
a passion for one of those three. We didn't even really understand any of those before we went to the orientation. Mm -hmm. We go back, I think, two of the things that we learned at the time, um, international was a long lead time. Um, and I think we got a little overwhelmed by at the time um, trying to figure out what country, you know, like right. is it Russia, is it China, is it Af like that was a, a little overwhelming for us at the time. Sure, um, sure. And trying to figure out which one would we, which, which direction we went. Because I think we also, we, we were spread. We didn't feel like we had the capacity to go kind of multiple different countries. So then we're kind of, I feel like we narrowed it back to um, domestic infant or uh, foster care or foster okay. to adopt, excuse me. And for us at the time with our, with our caseworker um, and our agency, um, we were told um, if, you, if you want an infant, meaning um, really less than a year, the domestic infancy program would have been a better fit for us than at the time foster to adopt. Sure. For my wife at the time, um, she really felt like, hey, for if, if the Lord's willing, I would love to experience that, quote, infancy stage. You know, if we yeah. get to be parents of number two, who knows where the Lord leads us in that situation. But she wanted to experience this, you know, two-month-old, whatever that yeah. might be. Yeah. Um, and so that was pretty clear for us. We were told, hey, um, if, that's, if that's your situation, let's go down this path. And we felt like, Dave, we couldn't manage doing multiple of those avenues. We, so we just kind of right. went, we went all deep into uh, domestic yeah. infant programs. Domestic infant. And I want to say to the other parents who are considering this, don't have any false guilt around um, if you, if you feel like uh, your family's, you've never raised children before, you don't know what raising toddlers is like, you don't know what teenagers are like, you feel like you want to pursue an infant adoption. That's an amazing thing. And I would say, go for it, right? There are those families who want to pursue uh, teenagers um, who don't want to be a fostered, uh, adopted, sorry, out of foster care. They want to just pursue kids who want to land somewhere and get them into community college. There are those who can't deal with babies and they want to, you know, deal with the, uh, you know, school-aged children. Um, the fact that you are considering adoption and foster care is amazing. And if for you and for your family, that looks like, um, you know, domestic infant or international infant or something like that, please don't add guilt to the amount of weight that you're already carrying. Uh, march forward with what you know you're supposed to do as a family, um, with what your confirmation is from the Lord and help a child in need and don't let any false guilt weigh you down in that. Yeah, Dave, that's, that's a great segue. Um, I think as we get further in, um, for us, um, segue, I mean, here comes the paperwork. And yeah. man, Dave, I was not, a, that was a whole new world to me. Um, so we get sent home as we, as we keep progressing, um, you know, we're down the domestic infancy program. Here comes the paperwork. Mm -hmm. And for us, Dave, we were given a paperwork that said pretty quickly, you know, the first is here's your medical background, mom and dad, here comes uh, financial employer background, all that kind of stuff. And then we got yeah. to the section uh, was, Hey, uh, preferences. That was yeah. I'll use that kind That's of word. A tough page, and it was like, and and my wife and I, we were. I feel like we we were just not. We come home from work, and this packet, we like. All right, let's do two pages a night. We just had this. We just had this objective. You know, we're going to yeah. knock this thing out. We're going to be the fastest parents ever to get their paperwork back in time. Yeah. You know, yeah. I was like, let's beat the odds. Let's beat the odds. And we get to the preferences page, and we're making great progress. Yeah. Then we get to the preference page. I think it was. You know, I was like, all right, we got this. Let's do this section tonight. Yeah whoa whoa and then all of a sudden it's like why are we why are we hesitating so in our with our paperwork preferences meant uh, medical history and also race 
Yeah. So we sat on these for a while and I didn't think we would. So on the medical, we had to sit there and determine, um, I would say what level of things would be um, tolerant for. And that's, so it's kind of weird. Let me unpack it. It was, was um, hey, the, the, the birth mother has, what if she has these type of conditions, schizophrenia, bipolar, um, you know, mental health issues, and then you also enter into alcohol and drug abuse. Yep. You know, and so you have this, you have all these different situations for the birth mother, birth father. And what if the birth grandmother has these situations? This is a figurative mom and family mm -hmm. that we don't even know of, but you're literally kind of checking the boxes of comfort level you're okay with. And as a believer, like you were used the word earlier, guilt. Yeah. And it was like, oh man, um, I don't know. Are we okay that the mom um, drank alcohol for the first six months of her pregnancy when she didn't know she was pregnant? Or right. we're not. Actually, she used marijuana. Are we okay with it? Not. So we paused on that sheet on the medical thing. And then we even sought counsel. Yeah. Medical counsel. We had a doctor that was recommended to us that specializes in um, kind of sitting with us, like parents like us, to kind of walk through, hey, here's the things I would be concerned about at some level, right? There's mm -hmm. no perfect uh, situation, but here's some things I would that are a little more, quote, risky. And here are things I'm not necessarily as concerned about. So for example, like smoking cigarettes, mm -hmm. right? And my doctor, our doctor's, you know, seasoned guy. Yeah. He's like, yeah. okay, in the seventies, moms were smoking cigarettes all the time. You know, it's not right. that it's a good thing, but he said, if there's things that we want to think about, let's, let's, here's some things I'd be concerned about. Here's some right. things I've been. So he really helped, I think, us with that preferences section on the medical side. Um, took us, man, it took us days and days to figure that out. Yeah. Then we go to the race page. And then that was a whole nother level too of, and I think the quick one is, you know, um, Hispanic, white, Asian, um, African-American, like you just kind of check. And then there's like the broad ones. And then below that it's biracial and you're checking um, every situation that you're okay with. Yeah. And I kind of just paused and did, this is where I struggled. I was like, honey, I feel like I'm in a car dealership. She's like, what are you talking about? I said, this feels like I'm going to buy a new truck. And they're asking mm -hmm. me if I want leather, if I want a full wheel drive package, if I want the running boards, mm -hmm. why we, this is a, a checkbox situation, but this is a kid. Yeah. It's a human I, life. Yeah. It's and an I think image bearer. I think there's guilt. Um, yeah. And kind of below that was also um, special needs kind of below yep. there was overall medical history race. And then you got into special needs. Are you comfortable with what levels of special needs would you be comfortable with? So then that brings a whole nother level. So all those different things came up on our, what we call the preferences page. So there's a feelings of guilt of, well, gosh, I think I should just check every box, right? Well, no, hold on. So you, you meant earlier, uh, Dave, like the guilt. And we, we saw some counsel that said, you know, you do not need to feel guilty if you don't check. And these are from a lot of, a lot of people from mm -hmm. our church as well as our caseworker that kind of helped us say these things too. like, do not feel guilty. If you don't feel like you can check this, like a child with special needs, if your family can't do that, that's okay. Don't feel guilty. It's not as though right. you're not going to like adopt a kid right. because you made that. Or if you like for, for my situation, both my kids, uh, we're, we're a multi-race family. Yes. So we, that took some time for us to unpack Dave. I think, uh, when we went down that path, I would say we were more quote aggressive on the race side. Mm -hmm. but we were more conservative on, on the medical side. Sure. We were more open to race situations. We were not as open to some of the thicker um, 
drug and alcohol use. So, well, you know, and I have to say there, I know some wonderful adoptive parents who they, their heart is for uh, physically challenged uh, or handicapped or, you know, drug abused, alcohol abused babies. Um, and that's their, that's their calling. That's, that's who they help. If, mm-hmm. if you don't think you're cut out for that, um, or if you don't feel a specific leading into taking one of those babies, again, who's, who's your community that's helping support you through this? Um, who's your church group? Who's your pastor? Talk to those people and make a decision that's right for your family. The mm-hmm. fact that you are considering helping a child in need is wonderful. And that should not be torn apart by that options page, right? That preferences page where you're saying, boy, I think we can do this. I don't, I don't think we can do that. And that's different for every single couple. So, mm-hmm. you know, one of the questions my, when we were filling out that page, I looked at my wife and I said, if, if you became pregnant, who's to say that, that our child wouldn't be born paralyzed? Who's to say that, and we were just struggling through these things and really discussing them. And that's different for every couple. So I would say, you know, be a team, fill it out unified because you're going to be stuck with the decisions that you make and they're going to be an incredible blessing or an incredible burden or, or a mixture of both. And you can pick, um, let's just say you can pick a child that's your own race with no medical issues and it can be a horrible experience. Uh, parents of biological children will tell you that they have no idea how a certain child turned out, right? Because we don't get to decide how children turn out. Uh, we get to decide what we put into them and, that, and that's about it. So yeah, that's a tough page, man. The preferences page is difficult. And I think to your point, Dave, let me hit on this one too. I think we were also coming from, this is um, where my wife's friends that were pregnant went through, um, I would say just the, the, the top perceived care for that child, right? Where we have the great pregnancy pill that you sleep with every night. We're taking mm-hmm. amazing prenatal pills. Our diet's fantastic. We go getting premarital, or sorry, prenatal massages. We're going to see this doctor. Mm-hmm. We're going to baby yoga, you know, the wife's parents, she's going to baby yoga classes. So there's this perception of control that the mom's doing everything to make ensure that they have a healthy baby. So she, my wife's, a ton of her friends are in that stage. And here we are on our end. And we're like, we got nothing. We're just, we are weighing how much um, alcohol is being drunk by the mom. If she's pre- on, on the preference right. page, at some right. so it felt like, well, gosh, we have friends that are going to get prenatal massages to ensure everything's great. And we're trying to weigh through all these heavy medical things. Right. So right. Went back to the, like, well, that sounds great over there. I'm, I'm glad that you're, you know, have this amazing new prenatal pill. Well, I don't know. I don't even know the mom, you know, right. this birth mother that's out there. I don't know if she took a prenatal pill at 9am versus 930am. Like some of our friends are like, mm-hmm. Oh no, by the doubt. So I think that felt isolating, felt a little bit like guilt, felt a little bit like well, God, it just, I think it isolated my wife for like, I don't, I can't, I can't even relate to that kind of situation where these moms, these, these expectant moms are doing quote everything they can to ensure a healthy baby. And we're just, we're filling out the preferences pages. Right. So it just right. felt like um, black and white difference on those things. Yeah. So, and it, it's only for those parents looking, it's only getting more complex, right? Um, it's only getting more complex with the medications people take, um, with the vaccinations people opt to take or not to take. Um, all of the things that, that we have built up these stories in our mind that affect the health and the well-being of a baby. Um, mm-hmm. And some of them do. And, you know, at the end of the day, like, why are we doing this? Um, are we doing this to help somebody? Are we doing this to, to have a child to love, to have a child to hold, um, to, to give a child an opportunity who otherwise wouldn't have one? Um, or are we, you know, 
trying to find the perfect human specimen that would be worthy of growing up in our homes. I don't think many people would check the last box, but when we get distracted or drawn into this preference page, it can kind of turn into that if we don't keep the bigger picture in mind of what, of what this is all about. Yeah. And I think one of the thing on the preferences page, Dave, was we saw some counsel of like, um, how much do you involve extended family in the preferences pages? You know, I think, um, so I think for us, we did a, it was, it's definitely my wife and I's decision, but I think what we were given some little bit of counsel was, you know, you're not asking for us. We didn't ask our, you know, at the time parents or aunt and uncles, Hey, what do you think? Mm-hmm. But we were just briefing them of, uh, here's where, here's the direction we're going. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were open to, you know, not necessarily criticism, I guess, but just like, Hey, especially for us going, um, more aggressive on the race side. Right. Right. Um, and for my family, this is going to be the first grandkid. So just briefing my parents on, Hey, mom and dad, your first grandchild might have a different skin color, skin color than you. Man, I really hate to cut this episode right here, uh, but I'll upload part two of this conversation right away so that you don't have to wait to finish this conversation with Lambert and I. Thank you so much for being a part of our very first episode, and we'll see you on the next one.